Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to New Books in Eastern European Studies, part of the New Books Network of Podcasts. I'm Morel Bellinson and I'm the host of this channel. With us is Dr. Anna Mishkovska-Kajewska of the University of Amsterdam, who studies the feminists in Belgrade and Zagreb of the 1990s, especially in relation to the war. In her forthcoming book, which will be published soon by Routledge, she revised our historical understanding Heathrow adopted, which failed to account for the significant differences in their positions, or rather positionings, if to use her term, regarding the war. Not only that, a major part of her book thoroughly analyzes the intra-feminist dynamics, which further negate any possibility for discussing them as a single cohort. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Mishkovska-Kajewska. Thank you very much for having me here, Oral. I'm really happy and excited about the invitation, and I'm also happy about being able to speak about my book and about the topic, uh, which uh, yeah, I, I care about a lot. So thank you. Now, as a historian of Yugoslavia myself, I can hardly doubt your geographical focus. As you know, Yugoslavia is still a fascinating terra incognita in many areas, including its feminisms. But how come that you got into the history of the 1990s, especially when it comes to Yugoslav feminism to begin with? How did you come up with the topic? Well, to begin with, I come uh, from uh, former Yugoslavia, more specifically from uh, uh, Macedonia, one of its republics. And the inspiration uh, for my research uh, came from different sides. Uh, first, in, like, in the second half of the 1990s, when I started identifying myself with feminism and as be- identifying as being a feminist, many of my uh, sources of inspiration and knowledge were the already existing feminists from the post-Yugoslav region. And I was not only impressed by the ways in which they uh, discussed and struggled against gender inequality, but also by their engagement against the post-Yugoslav wars and their engagement in support of the war victims, the raped women in particular. And then when the academic 99-2000, I went to Zagreb and I followed the women's studies program of the Center for Women's Studies there. And... I got really intrigued by a lecture which mentioned the existence of war-related revisions, uh, excuse me, divisions among the Zagreb feminists. And then finally, in 2003, uh, at a conference celebrating the 10th anniversary of one Zagreb feminist NGO, namely the Center for Women War Victims, I was very inspired by the activists' call for analyzing the women's and feminist activism in Yugoslavia and the post-Yugoslav states. So all these things jointly and also combined with my need to better understand the wars of the 90s and their impact on feminist activism slowly but certainly brought me to the topic. Thank you. That's fascinating. You know, coming from feminism, I guess it does assert some influence on the people you research, but... In many ways, studying and even listening to the history of feminism in Yugoslavia is a bit 
difficult for the ordinary historian since this is not kind like you know a major topic that we usually follow when we study Yugoslavia in graduate school. So I wonder if you could tell us a bit about feminism in Yugoslavia in general. Did it follow the model we know from let's say Britain or Western Europe, you know, this uh, history that follows the model of three waves starting from the suffragists and so on, or would you say that feminism in Yugoslavia has its own distinct um, history and, you know, kind of a path in history? I would say that there is indeed some uh, overlap because uh, to begin with, already before the Second World War, there were uh, some feminist groups in what was then called the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, the predecessor of socialist Yugoslavia. And some of these groups, so even we are talking now, uh, we're talking about uh, before Second World War, some of these groups were calling um, themselves explicitly feminist and they advocated uh, women's enfranchisement, women's education, economic and social equality with men, also including then the marital equality and equal pay for equal work. Also, some of these groups uh, had contacts with similar groups from Western Europe, and there was a lot of exchange of information and knowledge uh, between them. Then during the Second World War, uh, there was an active participation of women in the armed resistance against fascism and women engaged, were engaged both as soldiers, as partisans and, for example, as nurses, cooks, or they collected medicine, food, clothes um, and intelligence for the partisan uh, forces. And it's here very important to note that the equality of women and men was one of the main principles of the Communist Party of Yugoslavia, which led, uh, and that was the party then which led the anti-fascist resistance in the Second World War. So after the war, already the first Yugoslav constitution from 1946 stated that women have equal rights with men in all segments of the state, economic and socio-political life, which uh, that led then that the gender equality was uh, the official policy of the new socialist state and many uh, positive changes were introduced, such as full franchise for men and women alike, equal marital and inheritance rights, gradual legalization of abortion, compulsory primary education for girls and boys, and equal um, access to the institutions of higher education and the labor force. The Communist Party did not see, though, the gender struggle or the women's issue, as it was called then, uh, as separate from the class struggle. So, uh, the work on improvement of on, uh, on, to work on the improvement of the position of women was to be conducted through state institutions and the bodies of the Communist Party, and there were no feminist uh, organizations, let alone organizations which would call themselves so. And somewhere only in the second half of the 1970s, uh, it's the first, we have again a reappearance of the word feminism in the public space uh, in Yugoslavia. And very important in this context was uh, is a conference which took place in 97, uh, excuse me, in 78, 1978 uh, in Belgrade. And it was organized by the Yugoslav feminists in Becoming, and they invited a lot of feminists, second wave Western feminists. And this event was the first such event in a socialist country. 
And after this uh, conference um, and all the succeeding exchanges which took place between Yugoslav feminists and the feminists in the West, a small but very active uh, feminist movement in Yugoslavia was born. Um, and this feminist, Yugoslav feminists, did not only engage with critical analysis of the position of women in socialism, but also addressed some of the uh, issues which were the main issues of the second wave feminism in the West, such as raising awareness about the existence of violence against women and also creating ways to fight uh, against it. So what we had in Yugoslavia, just like in the West, that also in Yugoslavia, several crises, telephone lines for women and children, victims of violence were established. Um, to, um, in 88 in Zagreb, 89 in uh, Zagreb, Croatia, in 89 in Ljubljana, Slovenia, and then in 1990 in Belgrade, the capital of Serbia and Yugoslavia and the whole Yugoslavia. So you, what you had was that at the same, uh, si same time, some of the issues which the second wave feminists in the West uh, struggled for, they were not so relevant about the Yugoslav feminists because they had already been introduced in the Yugoslav state, in the Yugoslav legislation. Uh, for example, the equal marital and inheritance rights or the equal pay. But uh, where the feminists, Yugoslav feminists need, needed to work more was the better implementation of those changes. So, as I said, there is an overlap and there is a difference between what we see uh, as a development of feminism in the West and in Yugoslavia. Thank you. Now, you began speaking about this, like in the later part of your answer, but let's um, focus on this for a minute. So when we speak about the late Yugoslav period, let's say from the 1970s and on, how would you, in what ways would you say that Yugoslav feminist, feminism was unique, let's say, both compared to previous periods or compared to different uh, countries, whether socialist or not socialist? What we have seen since the late 1970s uh, and even more so than in the early, since the early 80s in Yugoslavia was a great a gradual, uh, even greater liberalization in the of the country. And because Yugoslavia already had uh, quite open borders and uh, the Yugoslav feminists were usually well educated and spoke several languages, uh, they were in the unique position at that time to be able to travel both to Western and Eastern countries, read literature from everywhere, and host intellectuals and activists also from the West. So uh, they could develop uh, an articulate criticism of gender, of the gender relations in socialism while living in socialism, and at the same time, uh, from their position, then critically look at the gender relations in the Western countries and make comparisons between uh, these um, two worlds. And also, which would prove very important later, they could already start establishing contacts with Western peace and feminist activists and academics. And that helped greatly then later in the warring 1990s when uh, the borders became much more closed, the access to information became very limited, and the need for financial support became quite urgent. So... You said that the borders were more open and this is, um, let's say, more distinct than it was in, uh, let's say, the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. But what channels did the state give 
these women in order to express their feminism was uh, feminism as a movement, as a concept, not women, not women's rights, but let's say feminism as a concept. Was it uh, advocated, encouraged by the state? Was it limited? In what was the relation between the state and feminism in this period? There was uh, no, uh, there was no encouragement, uh, and uh, there was also no state policy for uh, providing channels for. Um, to express feminism and support feminist activism as such, and not by that, that name. And actually, until the very end, uh, and then when I say very end, I speak about 89, 90, the Communist Party considered feminism as an anti-socialist activity, which did not engage uh, with uh, the, the core problem, which was the class uh, difference. And not only that, it, need, it did not engage with the core problem, but it also... Uh, obscured the existence of that problem. So, in principle, the Communist Party, while well, was uh, promoting uh, the egal equality of women, was uh, not promoting and being against uh, feminism. And um, but as it very often happens, uh, even in a more uh, totalitarian, more closed societies, there are always right people. Uh, supporters at the right place at the right time and what happened was that these uh, critical actors made sure that the feminists uh, were given space and these feminists they took that space uh, eagerly so what we had was for example the first formal occasion where feminism was given positive attention um, and it was a conference in, 96, uh, in 1976 in Slovenia and that conference gathered many women who would later become one of the main Yugoslav feminists. And the conference was organized by the League of Communists of Slovenia and the League of Communists of Croatia. And the later, the conference proceedings were published by the publishing house of the League of Communists of Slovenia. And another such example of right people at the right place at the right time is the scholarly journal Marxism in the World, which was published by the League of Communists of Yugoslavia. And in 1981, that magazine had the thematic issue on women's studies and the women's movement and also featured act articles by international feminist scholars. And its guest editor was a prominent Zagreb philosopher and feminist. And then to go a bit later, then uh, in the late 80, 1980s, both the, Bal the Belgrade and the Zagreb crisis telephone lines for women and children victims of violence were initially hosted in the offices which belonged to the Union of the Socialist, uh, Socialist Youth of Serbia and Croatia, respectively. So basically, as always, uh, you show us that even, you know, the bureaucratic apparatus of the Communist Party is more personal than ever. But one of these uh, major channels that were given to women is basically the right to go abroad. And can you tell us about the reasons behind uh, the decision to go abroad? I mean, you mentioned in your uh, book their speakers' tours. And we know that, for example, Tito loved uh, being a speaker abroad. He loved going around receiving presents. What were the uh, motives besides, of course, you know, learning and sharing their experiences? What uh, made them go abroad and what did they find uh, when they got abroad? 
the speaker tours which I address in my thesis concern the war period, so also uh, also the period uh, past uh, when socialism stopped being uh, the official ideology, and uh, so. But uh, during socialism, during Yugoslavia, when feminists went abroad, it was uh, mostly on academic uh, exchanges, or they would go and visit a feminist NGO and to see how they work, uh, which are, for example, a women's shelter. They would visit a women's shelter in the UK and see how they work, which problems do they experience, which strategies uh, they used to uh, find funding, etc. And also they would like just privately uh, meet uh, and share information with feminist activists and academics. But as I said, the speakers tours, which I uh, address in my uh, thesis, they, they started happening uh, in the 1990s and especially during the wars in Bosnia, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina and Croatia. And they were a series of public or semi-public discussions where post-Yugoslav feminists and peace activists would meet various Western audiences. And the first goal of the tours was to enable these activists to, to present their views on the war violence, as well as to present the activism which they undertook against the violence. Then the audience was able to hear firsthand about the perspectives of the directly involved actors and to understand why this is so important, because now we live uh, in uh, uh, times which are technically very different from those in the early 1990s. So we have to recall that we talk now about a period when there were no live streams, there was no Facebook or Skype, when uh, time when email and the World Wide Web did not uh, exist yet or were not yet available to the post-Yugoslav activists. So it was very important to physically go somewhere and meet and speak. And the activists, uh, both those who spoke at the tours and those who organized the tours, also wanted to raise attention about how severe the war violence was and the rapes of women in particular and encourage the Western audiences to take actions which would lead to stopping this violence, criminalizing war rape, recognizing women's rights in war, etc. And very often these tours had another goal also, and that was to raise funds for those activists uh, and also the war victims which these activists work with. And this, the fact that the, the, these tours had also this uh, financial goal also explains maybe the best why the invitation policy could be fervently contested by those who had not been invited to the tours. Interesting. Basically, yes, this is well beyond the period of uh, Kickstarter and other fundraising online. Indeed. Um, but up until now, I said things like, uh, Yugoslav feminist, and you did not correct me yet, but now I do want uh, to draw the same distinction that you do in your book, and I want to speak about the feminists of Zagreb and those of Belgrade separately. Um, when did differences emerge and why? Very prominent differences emerged with the beginning of the war violence. So, yes, because in the first part we, we mostly spoke about types of Yugoslavia, so these differences were not 
that visible. But when we speak then about the wartime period, uh, the one uh, difference in particular is very important, and that's the division, which uh, the, uh, the extent of the the type of the division between, which happened among the Belgrade feminists and that which happened among the Zagreb feminists. So the split among the Zagreb feminists happened earlier. So we are talking about late 91, early 92. And it was much more articulated in public than the one in Belgrade. This split in Zagreb also remained uh, pretty much the same uh, throughout the 1990s and even started becoming gradually less visible. On the other hand, in Belgrade, uh, we, we have never had such a clear split uh, between the feminists. From early 93 onward, there was also very, there was always started, it already started becoming clear that different feminists have different views uh, on the war violence, on the, on the, uh, on, on who is a victim and who is a perpetrator. But these differences were hardly ever publicly articulated. And we also had some feminists with very different positionings would work together in the same feminist groups, which was not the case in Zagreb. And then a slightly more noticeable, a more deeper and a more persistent division took place in Belgrade in 1998 uh, and 1999 during the NATO bombing of Serbia and Montenegro and the war in Kosovo. And then the Belgrade feminists, uh, whereas the Zagreb feminists, the division, the earlier division remained pretty much the same. As I said, the Belgrade feminists divided uh, uh, deeper and there was uh, also feminists who were uh, who agreed before now disagreed. And the, the new topics were their, their views on the ethnic cleansing which the Serb forces conducted against the um, Kosovo Albanians, and also they divided based on whether they justified or not the NATO bombing of Serbia. And uh, to explain uh, this difference, I cannot, why one, we had one type of division in Belgrade and another type of Zagreb, I cannot uh, go in too many details because it's... Um, hard to explain in a short time, but I can say uh, that the I see a twofold explanation, and the first part concerns the contextual differences between Croatia and Serbia in the type of the war violence on their territory and the timing of the war violence uh, on their territory, but also a contextual difference uh, in their unequal level of responsibility for the war violence uh, in Yugoslavia. And then the second part of the explanation addresses, goes more on the uh, micro level of the individuals and then addresses the differences which existed between the feminists in their economic, social and cultural capital. And those differences uh, were bigger, were larger in Zagreb than in Belgrade. Uh, and we already existed before the wars. So then the war difference, they also, when the war came, the war, uh, the war when the war came, uh, wars came, sorry, uh, the already existing pre-war differences in Zagreb became uh, even uh, larger because they, they uh, became, as it were, emphasized by the, by the war of violence. And as you said, uh, 
my book uh, is uh, appears very soon end of this month but already my dissertation has been is is available uh, online uh, for those who would like uh, more information uh, about uh, this division and my dissertation can be fi- found very easily if you just google my name and then a page blog spot page will appear with the link to my dissertation and there you can read much more detail in detail about these differences Thank you. So you mentioned that the differences, um, some of them emerged, some of them were only sharpened by the war. Do you feel that in general, um, Yugoslavia, um, not only, you know, between nations, but inside the nations became uh, divided due to borders of uh, nations and nationalism and positions about the national question? Yes, people uh, in times of Yugoslavia, uh, first, the people did not uh, care that much about uh, differences, ethnic differences, but also there was also that, uh, that topic, the ethnic differences was a taboo topic. So people, even if they would care, they would not really dare discuss it. So I think that there is uh, something, uh, some uh, discontent which has been uh, brewing there. And also what we had in Yugoslavia was that unfortunately well, there was no open discussion, facts-based discussion about the war crimes which during the Second World War were committed by one ethnic Yugoslav ethnic group against another. And then uh, nationalism, when it started taking um, becoming a stronger force uh, in political in everyday life uh, in the 1980s it affected started affecting everybody uh, and but in uh, the wars even more so because then what we had uh, with the wars nationalism brings in the persistent hate speech can bring uh, instances uh, of insecurity, but a large war, uh, large-scale war violence brings a lot of killed people, a lot of destruction, and it becomes even so more more visible uh, how uh, severe the effects uh, of, the, of the of wars are, and um, and people then uh, take sides absolutely when um, faced with such severe uh, circumstances. And nobody can uh, be left uh, untouched, and that was neither the case uh, with the with the feminists. They, uh, they 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 took different views, different positionings vis-à-vis uh, this violence, and as uh, and as I said, the different definitions of uh, and the definitions of who is a victim, who is a perpetrator, who is our enemy, who is our who deserves our support. And I would say that in short. Those differences concerned uh, the distance, one's distance from the official national narrative on the war violence. So more precisely, uh, what we see is that feminists differ uh, in their answers to several questions. The first one, the extent of responsibility of each warring sides. Are all sides, uh, and the, the, then the accent is on the uh, responsibility of the state or uh, you live in or the ethnic group you belong to. And then the question is are all sides, all warring parties equally responsible for the war violence or some parties more responsible than others? Whose responsibility are we going to accentuate? Then, second, 
the extent of victimhood of each uh, warring part, and then again the extent of victimhood, um, victimhood of one side, state, and one's ethnic group. Are all sides equally victimized, equally suffering from the war violence, or do uh, some uh, sides suffer disproportionately? Then, as I mentioned uh, earlier, the extent of the justification of the NATO bombing of Serbia and Montenegro in 99 is the bombing only wrong because uh, it um, it affects uh, the Serbian population in Serbia because there is a, uh, many people, uh, many Serb people suffering. Is the bombing wrong because it's not the right way to uh, um, stop the ethnic cleansing which takes place on Kosovo? In other words, is the use of violence the right answer, the right way to stop another form of violence? And there were also the feminists who said, who approved, who justified of the NATO bombing because they said that's the only way to uh, stop uh, the politics of Milosevic, the same politics, Milosevic being then also the politics of the Serbian regime and the same politics which we had seen happening from the early 1990s. And finally, there was a difference uh, between the feminists in whether they wanted to cooperate, to continue cooperate and express solidarity with the feminists uh, from, as I say, from the other side, feminists who were now uh, seen as belonging, but in the official narrative, national narrative was seen as belonging to the enemy, to the enemy side. So this, uh, the various answers uh, which uh, were given to these um, questions, all the related disagreements and divisions, they uh, often meant that uh, Friendships and the working relations among feminists, even working in one group, one feminist group in one city, so that these relations, working relations would be uh, stopped. And uh, most of these um, friendships and working relations has not, have not been uh, resumed uh, ever since. So I personally treat nationalism and divorce as co-responsible for the diminution of the already not very abundant feminist resources in each city. And it's a quite um, unfortunate and worrisome development. And one another point which I want to make here, and actually I want to underline that even the feminists whose discourse on the war violence stood closest to the official national and nationalist narrative, and who, for example, did not want to cooperate anymore with the feminists from the other side, even they conducted many good activities against sexual and other violence against women. They also distributed humanitarian aid and advocated the criminalization of war rape. And this means that even these activists deserve absolutely a place in the feminist scholarship. So what you describe and from what we see in your book this group sought to position itself as the only legitimate one. Each group um, could not see another legitimate group in society. Why wasn't Yugoslav feminism able to cope with a pluralism of feminisms? First, I would like to say, when, uh, in this context, like when you say group, I would like to speak of clusters. So it's not about one only one feminist group, one feminist NGO, but a cluster of uh, more groups of more activists, which uh, 
were united by their more uh, more or less uh, same understanding of the war violence and then uh, to the uh, to ask about to, to uh, answer your question about the inability to cope with pluralism uh, i think that the main reason uh, behind this inability was uh, as i mentioned already several times i think the intensity and the severity of the war violence and while being very brave and persistent, the feminist activists were under a lot of physical, emotional and mental stress at the time because they were overworked. They lived in a constant existential insecurity and were regularly exposed to the horrifying stories of the refugee women and the rape refugee women in particular they work with. And then in such a war context, once the divergent definitions of the war violence of the victims and perpetrators were seen as contributing to the continuation of the war, the continuation of the raping and the killing of people and to the destruction of the society in general. So uh, basically this extreme situation made it very hard to make compromises with positions which were considered quite harmful. And then on a different note, Already uh, from the beginning uh, of the, from the very beginning of the Yugoslav feminism, uh, so we are talking now back uh, to the pre-war times, these activists tried very hard to mobilize themselves and others by using the idea of sisterhood, which means commonality, cooperation and solidarity among women in general, due to their shared underprivileged gender-based position in the society. So to express a dissenting positioning on the war later was also seen as harming the whole concept and the whole point of feminism, as well as harming the possibility of achieving a better and a more gender equal world. Thank you. Your study is indeed very interesting, and I think that its results are not only of use to scholars of gender and feminism, um, and as you know, this channel is actually more um, related to the people who deal with Yugoslavia and Eastern European studies. What would you say that the significance of your studies for understanding Yugoslavia, late Yugoslavia, ex-Yugoslavia as a whole? Well, several, uh, there are several uh, points which I want to make here. And to begin with, I show that uh, there are issues for which uh, one cannot speak of the whole Yugoslav region as a homogeneous entity. Sometimes you really need to distinguish uh, between what would happen, what happened in Croatia and what happened in Serbia. And as in my case, it was also important to say that it's, I don't even talk about feminists in Croatia, but I talk about feminists in Zagreb. I don't talk about feminists in Serbia, but about feminists in Belgrade, because the period which I analyze uh, and, and, the, and the type of activism, most of the uh, this activism was took place in the capitals of each of the these post-Yugoslav uh, successor states. So it's very important for some issues then to be uh, very precise. And I also show uh, that what happened in the first half of the 1990s among the feminists was not the same as what happened in the second half of the 1990s. And that, that doesn't only uh, concern uh, feminism. It was the NATO bombing, for example, was um, 
uh, came was a war violence which came from an outside force, whereas, for example, in the war in Croatia, you had also Serb militaries entering Croatia and waging war there. So this kind of difference would also then affect uh, other would also affect peace activism uh, would also affect. Um, a way, the types of forms of suffering, ways of how people remember these uh, these forms of war violence. So, as I say, it's not only yeah, uh, and, and as you also said, valid and relevant for feminist activism. And I also uh, show, and this is then, uh, for example, important for those who analyze social movements, that. Um, it is very important that the Yugoslav feminists had already started mobilizing and educating themselves um, even before the 1990s. They already started networking with Western feminists already uh, before the 1990s, which meant that when the war started, the feminists were not inexperienced beginners. They, and, and that enabled them to be more successful, not only uh, in their support to refugee women, but also in their advocacy against uh, war violence in general and sexual war violence in particular. So, and this this uh, conclusion, this finding is then important when one wants also to study effects of uh, of social movements, how uh, people get mobilized, inspired, what's the importance of outside uh, actors to the lo local actors. And finally, uh, what I also discovered uh, was that uh, in the scholarship on uh, on the Yugoslav wars, and even more so when we discuss about Yugoslav or, or post-Yugoslav war-related feminism, there is a need to uh, critically look, examine uh, the existing scholarship, because even some of the findings or the claims which one can repeatedly find uh, in the scholarship as being valid have not been uh, actually corroborated with new findings uh, and sometimes claims made in the 92 93 get repeated but they actually need to be critically examined basically i mean your project is very um even though you know it's quite narrow because it's focused on two cities on one uh, decade, it's still extremely um, relevant for multiple disciplines. For us, uh, for me as a historian, for people who deal with Yugoslavia and Eastern Europe and socialism and socialist countries as a whole, but also, uh, as you said, as you said, to sociologists dealing with uh, social movements, to um, students and scholars of gender studies, of feminisms, etc. This is a very I'm sure that you feel now, you know, almost relieved that the book is uh, almost out and you can move to a next, uh, to a new project. So where do you go from here? Uh, what is your next uh, scholarly project? I don't know if I, I mean, I, I, I still, I, I cannot speak that I have experienced much relief because I continue being uh, engaged with uh, difficult subjects uh, and present Besides the research affiliation, which I have, uh, as you mentioned, with the University of Amsterdam, I work uh, in a piece in one peace NGO in Macedonia, which is called Peace Action. And basically, I try to combine in my daily life being an activist and academic uh, and the uh, at the same time, which is very inspiring, very interesting, but also very uh, demanding. And in the academic segment of my life, I have lately conducted... Uh, 
for example, uh, analysis, socio-historic anal analysis of the LGBT movement in Macedonia. I also analyzed the process, the deeply undemocratic and problematic process which led to the imposition of a restrictive abortion law in Macedonia in 2013. And on the other hand, then my recent activist efforts uh, uh, primarily have the form of uh, participating in the process of dealing with the war past in Macedonia. And then that work is mainly done through my work in the peace NGO, which I mentioned. So in a way, I continue being uh, uh, involved, engaged with the war violence, uh, with the studies of war violence and the legacy of war violence. And I have also uh, participated a lot in the public protests against the uh, authoritarian rule in Macedonia, which has been imposed in the last 10 years. So, yeah, that's why I say there is no I, uh, there hasn't been much uh, place uh, space for relief. Um, but uh, I think that uh, whatever I continue doing uh, in the future, uh, it will always uh, continue, uh, in, uh, it will always involve the struggle for peace, gender, sexual equality, equality between people of different ethnic uh, origin, and also struggle for social justice. It's interesting to see how both your um, activist projects and your research methodology, I mean, you've done, you've done interviews uh, for these books, and you seem to work a lot with more with war memories, and I can tell you, as someone who worked on the Russian Revolution and then on uh, World War Two in Bosnia, that war memories do haunt you um, way, way longer than you would expect them to. Would you say that you also study memory? I mean, do you uh, try to get only history from your interviews, or do you also think critically about the way that later developments uh, kind of reflect on what they tell you now in 2017? Yeah, in my, uh, in my dissertation, I did uh, use the interviews for, for two ways. First, I, I wanted to I use them yeah, as a source of information to construct a, a, a narrative on what happened between um, the feminists, uh, and I did that uh, to do that. I, I looked at nine nine events. I made it the nine case studies. And at the same time, besides uh, using the interviews as a source of yeah historical information, at a different part of the dissertation, I looked at how uh, uh, my respondents spoke about those events, and then I looked yeah so at the discourse uh, as a topic, and how then it also this was uh, what they said at the time of interviewing how that was influenced by the current, uh, both by the current political situation in their country and by their current um, professional uh, situation, by, by their current economic, social and uh, cultural capital. And there is one thing which I would like also to add about what you said about the memories which haunt you. This research... Uh, I completely agree. Uh, the memories that also the uh, the whole the interactions with the respondents uh, can uh, leave a huge impact on the researcher because when discussing difficult topics in the in the interview context, we often have to deal with a lot of sadness, with a lot of anger. Uh, sometimes people shout at us. Sometimes people cry, and. Uh, 
all these experiences made me a huge proponent of what is called now a, so, a slow science. Uh, and basically it's a, it's a small but emerging movement of academics who want to say we need time for to do science. We cannot just simply produce more and more in a shorter and shorter period of time. Because especially when we deal uh, with difficult subjects, we need time to take uh, distance from what uh, we have experienced, from what our participants have experienced, time to process, to reflect about what has been said and done. And also we need time also to preserve ourselves as individuals emotionally so that we can a be able to continue uh, functioning, functioning normally and also do good research in the future. I do agree that we need some time to think because in many, I mean, as you as an activist, you know, better than, uh, than, you know, me who still struggles to combine my academic life with my academic life, not with any activist life. Um, and I mean, most of your, um, let's say main characters of your narrative are still not very old today. I mean, some of them are probably still activists in what, started perhaps as a somewhat Yugoslav feminist movement, but is now a clearly Serbian or clearly Croatian or clearly, I don't know, Zagrebian feminist movement that is in a globalizing world. Do some of your main characters um, practice activism? Would you say that um, their current position on various issues is informed by what happened in the past, as opposed to, the, to this uh, younger feminist who have little to no memory of what uh, is, what was it like to live under the war or even under Tito? There has been a huge variety uh, among uh, the, uh, the, the feminists which I interviewed and where they are uh, at present. Now, some of them uh, are still, some of them have withdrawn from feminist activism because they were simply um, exhausted uh, or consider themselves also too old to be uh, active uh, anymore but also because they were to some yeah deeply also disturbed by uh, all the violence and then other feminists are active um, but then on on other issues uh, related of course always like sexual reproductive rights for example and uh, some of the most still remain uh, writing about uh, the war violence, about the victims, about the importance of, of recognition of the suffering of the raped women. And they fight for uh, so that these women, the raped women can receive the status of civilian war victims, which is still not so um, in the post-Yugoslav countries and even in the, in the places where the raped women have received uh, the status of war uh, of civilian uh, war victims, they don't uh, get uh, financial compensation or their other rights are not uh, well respected and implemented. So there are feminists who still are very closely intertwined uh, with the wars. Um, there are also feminists who have... Uh, entered the state bodies uh, of uh, of Serbia and Croatia. Croatia, as we know, is a member since a few years of the European Union. Serbia is an aspiring member. And one of the 
issues uh, which uh, are important for becoming a member European member uh, member state of the European Union is the establishment establishment of different bodies and mechanisms of achieve for achieving gender equality. So some of the feminists are uh, active there, um, and it's very interesting uh, to see that uh, some of them who have been really against the states are. Uh, their own states and governments in the 1990s now try from inside, from within the state institution, uh, institutions to improve uh, the position uh, of women. Um, what we also have um, is that uh, when we speaking about uh, the younger activists, what is very interesting is that um, there is a, in a way a cut. Um, a cut between uh, silence around this uh, the, this topic the about uh, around the war related divisions between the older feminists so uh, younger feminists know that something has happened very often they feel when the older feminists let's say uh, discuss something that there is something unresolved there but there is no uh, that much uh, activism or there haven't been that many analyses of this period from the younger generations of Belgrade and Zagreb feminists. And in that sense, uh, I it was very fortunate that I was in a way an outsider, although I knew uh, many of the respondents and I, I came from the former Yugoslavia, but from a different part uh, of the country and I wasn't uh, involved in feminist activism in Belgrade and Zagreb. So I could more as an outsider approach these women and ask uh, questions which the younger generations of Belgrade and Zagreb feminists might not necessarily dare asking. Um, so I hope in that sense that my work will also contribute to um, will shake a bit this taboo uh, subject and, um, and make uh, these uh, disagreements, these differences uh, uh, more open for discussion, for analysis, etc. Maybe we can conclude by saying that there is a lot to be done, both in the academic <laughs> sphere and the public sphere, uh, especially, you know, in such a, let's say, troubled, yet things get better country like uh, what used to be Yugoslavia. I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, I really enjoyed our interview, both the uh, strictly academic part about what the 1990s were and uh, the more methodological discussion we had towards the end. Thank you very much. Hvala lepo. Molim lepo. Thank you very much for the invitation once again. It was a pleasure to be part of this program. Thank you very much. Take care.